What is going on, Houston Texans fans everywhere? Welcome in to another edition of Texans All Access. From the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris. So glad to be with you this evening yet again as we take over the airways from 6 to 7. We've got plenty for you tonight. Drew Doherty's going to stop by in the next segment. And I-, I thought this was a pretty good one. Drew came up with this, and I thought it was great. He asked me... I think it was probably a couple days after, uh, I think it was after the game with the Chiefs, he, we came up with, in the lab, and he, he came up with an idea and said, what soon-to-be second-year or third-year player do the Texans need to have kind of break out, if you will? And I know once you hear that, you're like, well, all of them, but we kind of went on the record saying these are the guys that we think are probably the biggest candidates to be able to do that. So we'll have that. And DPC is going to stop by later in the show to give out our version of the uh, football Oscars for the Texans, if you will. You know, the Oscars, they're coming up on Sunday. I haven't even really been paying attention too much to it. I should. I mean, I, I, some of the movies I, I think I've seen, I can't remember. But they give all kinds of awards. Best cinematography, best costume design, best actor in a limited or supporting role. So we figured, why not do that? And we'd write it up. We'd take in contributions from me, DP Mark, uh, Andrew. And DP is writing about that each and every day this week. So I figured to kind of kick it off and to promo that, why not discuss one of those? So later in the show, we're going to have the best catches of 2019 and all four of us independently came up with a different catch now the one thing i thought about after we all made our submissions there was one catch that we just completely glossed over and i think part of it was because it was more about the play than it was the catch but you'll have an opportunity at some point to hear that later in the show we'll have a few honorable mention candidates we came up with four different catches independently of one another and I think all of them have merit the actual best physical catches the one that DP came up with but the other three well they were best catches for a particular reason so we've got plenty for you on the show tonight let's jump in with some hot reads they are brought to you by Geico 15 minutes to save 15 percent or more on car insurance let's go around the league a little bit a lot of things happening throughout the league as you know, we get to that off-season time, and you you just never know what is going to pop up, when, how, what the rumors might be. Well, how about this juicy rumor, courtesy of Greg Rosenthal of the NFL Network? The Colts and Chargers yeesh, could be interested in trading for Cam Newton. Okay, so. I know I packed that a little bit. I had to think about this. I've no, no. Greg is not quite the insider that Ian Rappaport is, but Greg knows some people, and it makes a lot of sense. First of all, I don't think there's anybody out there that expects Philip Rivers to go back to, to the LA Chargers, and that's not happening. The Chargers are going to have a different quarterback. A lot of the mock drafts that I've seen have them taking a quarterback. I've seen Justin Herbert. That's a guy that apparently the Chargers really like. I've also seen in one mock draft today, I saw Tua Tonga-Vailoa going to the L.A. Chargers. I think they're at six. They're one spot behind Miami. So 
having a rookie starting off that uh, in that new building in L.A., sharing it with the Rams, having a, finding a quarterback for the future, that's big because obviously Phillip's not going to be there. Or I would be shocked if Phillip Rivers goes back to the Chargers. So Cam Newton to the Chargers makes some sense. Let's try and unpack this whole thing with the Colts. I don't want to see Cam Newton in Indianapolis. I do not at all. Now, Andrew Luck and Cam Newton are tied together for me because those two could have come out in the same draft. They could have come out together in the 2011 draft, which would have given the Panthers the opportunity, I would think at that point, to take Andrew Luck, and then Cam Newton would have gone elsewhere. But Luck decided to go back to college. Cam was the number one pick. Luck waited a year. He ends up in Indianapolis. And then we had to face him how many ever years before he retired heading into the 2019 season. Cam Newton going to Indianapolis. Oh, I don't know how much I like that. Now, one thing I do know about the Colts, they're not ones to make huge splashes money-wise as they did with Jacoby Brissett. Now, they didn't make a huge splash, but it was more than a little tiny ripple. And then to make a deal for Cam Newton, they're going to have to give up some serious ammunition to get Cam. Now, I don't know if the market for Cam is going to be completely there, so maybe they don't have to give up. Maybe they have to give a second rounder. I don't know if that's going to be something that Chris Ballard is going to want to do, but I do think with the Chargers and Colts, that being out there, that there's interest in Cam Newton. Maybe this has been floated by somebody close to Carolina, that they want that out there. I do know this, and I was told this by multiple people at the Senior Bowl, that expect the Carolina Panthers to potentially blow the whole thing up. And I mean the whole thing. And Matt Rule got a seven-year deal. I said it that night. Matt Rule got a seven-year deal. You get a seven-year deal, why? Most coaches are getting, what, four or five-year deals? You get a seven-year deal because you've got to have some growing pains in the first couple of years that the seven-year contract shows were showing you some loyalty, Matt Rule. But don't be surprised to see, obviously, Greg Olson already gone. Luke Keekley retired. Thomas Davis went off the year before. They're going to blow that thing up in Carolina. Does that mean Christian McCaffrey? I've been told maybe. And maybe with a heavy lean to, yeah, blowing it up would indicate Christian McCaffrey. Now, that's could be rumors, but that's what's going on in Carolina. So if they're doing all that in Carolina, you know they're going to take what they think they can get for Cam Newton. But if they've got more suitors, and now it looks like they do, you could see the Chargers and Colts bidding for Cam Newton. So that's going to be an interesting one, especially with the angle of the Indianapolis Colts and the Texans having to face them. Now, let's stay in the division for our next hot read, and that will be the Jacksonville Jaguars. The president of the team, Mark Lamping, basically the Jags' Jamie Roots, and owner Shad Khan, had a little meeting with the media today to discuss various aspects of life in Jacksonville over the next how many ever years. Now, the fear in Jacksonville, and I know having knowing many people there, the Jags are going to go to London. That's where they're going to go. They're the team. Shad's got a soccer team over there, Fulham. He's, he's going to take the Jaguars. That's going to be the team that goes to London. It's the first team permanently in London. Well, today's news is not going to dissuade anybody from feeling that way because the Jags will not play just one, but they will play two games in London next year. So the Jags are giving up 
two home games to go to London. Now, it, to play two in London, I would think you've got to play them back-to-back. So to me, it feels like the Jags end up being sort of the test case for whether you can have a team over in London. But they will play apparently back-to-back games in London. And it's the first time that's ever happened. They will play both of them at Wembley Stadium, as J.P. Shadrick, our buddy from Jags.com, told us nobody beats the Jags at their home away from home, Wembley Stadium. Uh, so Wembley Stadium is that place. Wembley Stadium, it's a beautiful place. Beautiful place. They've redone it over the years. It is beautiful. And Shad said, we're committed first and foremost to winning, and that commitment drives me and everyone at the Jaguars every day. They want to give Jacksonville a team that wins and a community that can be proud to call its own. But they're taking their act over to London twice in the 2020 season. Now, I haven't been able to listen today to Jacksonville radio. I haven't seen a lot posted from people in Jacksonville. So I, I, I have a feeling hearing that news is a little bit jarring today because it's two. When does it become four? When's it a split? Hey, you're going to play four in London, four at home. I mean, when does it become that? I don't know. But they will play second game in London. Both Shot and Mark Lamping talked about different areas of development in Jacksonville. But one of the biggest concerns is the stadium. And that stadium has been there since 1995 uh, when they, they renovated the stadium. It used to be the old Gator Bowl when they got the Jags. They tore that thing down to the studs, built it back up. That stadium is definitely in need of repair in certain places. And I can see where when you see stadiums throughout the league and see what they have, that obviously becomes uh, a sticking point. And Mark Lamping discussed that often. The stadium could be at issue in Jacksonville. Maybe they would look at different areas. That thing is right on the river. That's the best location you can possibly have. But they've got other land there in Jacksonville State that's still on the river that maybe they could build another stadium. Who knows? But they will play two games over in London. Now, we do know that they play three games in the division, and we just played them last year, so I wouldn't think we're on the schedule to go over to London again. But Titans and the Colts and us, they also play the Browns, the Lions, or the Dolphins. Those could be the games that are heading over there. The home games against Pittsburgh and Chicago will be in Jacksonville. So I would think it's going to be one of the division opponents, the Colts, the Titans, or, yeah, the Colts or Titans, probably not us, and the Browns, the Lions, or the Dolphins. I want to say the Lions haven't been over there recently, but I'm not totally sure of that. So the Jags going over to play two games over in London. not totally sure how that and what that means for Jacksonville, but I do think maybe part of it is to try and have the people there in Jacksonville start thinking about a new stadium. Uh, We'll see uh, how that works. Greg Olson, tight end, I mentioned him a little while ago, released by the Panthers. That became official on Monday per the transaction wire. I think it was reported maybe earlier this morning or late last night. He is now out there. He's 34 years old. He's got one year left on his deal. Teams are already making overtures. Apparently, the Bills and Redskins are making overtures. And also, the Seattle Seahawks. Yo. Greg Olson with Russell Wilson for a year? My goodness. That would be kind of scary. That would be Russell Wilson getting Jimmy Graham back. And that's the one thing they don't have. They've got DK Metcalf. They've got Tyler Lockett. They don't have that tight end. You know, Cody Hollister was not that guy for them. 
They need somebody that can help them in the middle of the field do some big things, and maybe Olsen is that guy. Now, if you're going to wait a second, free agency is until March. Because he was released, he can sign with anybody at any point from now for the end of time. But Greg Olson out on the market. He is officially a free agent, the Pro Bowl tight end, formerly of the Chicago Bears and Carolina Panthers. Maybe now the Bills, Redskins, or Seahawks. So there you go. Your hot reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. All right, we get back. We'll discuss those second and or third year players that are going to take the biggest leap for the Texans in 2020. That's next on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Tuesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host this evening, John Harris. Now, I typically won't be the host on Tuesday evening. I will join Mark Vandermeer, but Mark out on a leadership retreat with the Texans leadership. So you have to deal with me, which is a good thing for you because we talk a lot of football. And that means I get to bring my friends along. That means Drew Doherty is going to stop by my In the Lab partner. We got a new In the Lab going up probably, I think it may already be up. I'm not totally sure. It may be up tonight. might be up tomorrow morning, but it's excellent. You will absolutely love our redraft of the 2005 NFL draft. You'll love that for In the Lab. But on this portion of In the Lab, we talked about second and third year players that we expect or are looking forward to making the leap, as they say. Texans have many hex of players that are going to be second year and third years in 2020. Out of that crop, who are you most excited about or who do you think might make the biggest leap? I'm going to start, okay, go ahead. and I'm going to go with the very unglamorous and uh, maybe even just like a, this might be way too obvious – but I think after having a solid rookie year at left guard, I think you're really going to see great things and improve things and better things from Max Sharping. I like what we saw as a rookie. I yep. mean, dealing with him off the field as well, like yeah. you can tell this dude is sharp. Yeah, and is. talking with some other people in the building, they and this was before he even suited up, they marveled at how smart yeah. he was football-wise. And he, I mean, he was like a 4.0 guy yeah. in the classroom too, but Football-wise, they they said he was extremely advanced for somebody his age and really for any NFL player. Yeah. Now, he got thrown into the fire finally in week three, and he held his own. You know, they're, they're like any rookie, he could, he could play better. Yep. But I think a whole offseason with an all-pro guy, all-pro level guy at his left in Laramie Tunsil yep. and Nick Martin to his right mm-hmm. and center and being in the system and not having to get ready for the draft and not having to get ready for – the combine and all that other stuff and you know getting to just focus on football get the break that he needs yep. being in the system weight weight room wise flexibility wise with with all the, the strength and conditioning stuff I really think the best is yet to come for him and I think it's coming at the right time with Deshaun Watson as he's entering his prime and I'm really really excited to see what Sharping does Max Sharping is my yep. second or rookie second year or third year guy to watch in 2020. It's when you when you told me this was a topic. My first thought was Titus Howard, and, and he's he was he was it was one A and one B. Yeah, because I thought um, ta- I thought Howard was a little bit more advanced than Sharping on the field. Yeah, last year. And I mean, it's funny because when you started saying you know when Max was thrown in there in week three, I started thinking about man, what do we do in week one, week two? And Titus didn't play in week one, and then he played in week two, but he played at guard. He played mm-hmm. that left guard position, and then in week three. 
I remember they're lining up before the game against the Chargers, and I'm like, it's Bosa, it's Ingram, and they're going to go and move Titus out to right tackle <laughs> and put Sharping at left guard. Like, well, And then Sharping, they moved Ingram inside to rush against him, and I'll never forget it. Ingram tried to throw a, a spin move, and Sharping just – and Max just caught him. Mm-hmm. And, like, Ingram is standing there with his back – back – Literally to the quarterback with his arms up in the air, like I can't move anywhere. Look, there, and he wasn't holding him, but Max was just literally like, "You're not going anywhere, yeah. man. I got you." And I was like, "That, that to me was holy smokes. This guy's going to be all right." Because Max, the last time I'd seen Max was at the, I'd seen him at the Senior Bowl, mm-hmm. and did he play inside in the game or? Oh, he played a tackle in the okay. Senior Bowl, but the thing was, he had an ankle injury. Oh, uh. so he had actually worked with Coach Zerline. Uh, Lance Zerline, who a lot of people know, a good friend of mine. Yeah. And Lance's dad, Larry, coached the NFL for a long time as an offensive line coach. And so Max had worked with him for a couple of days and had injured his ankle, I think, before he went to go work out with Larry. So Lance was telling me, we're at the team, we're like, man, look sharping. I just wish he were healthy. I was like, well, what's wrong? He's like, oh, he's dealing with an ankle injury. And so at the senior bowl, we really didn't get a great picture of Max. I did find it interesting. I was going back through my notes, and I found I found I found one of my notes saying Omenahu versus Sharping. This has been a good battle. Wow. <laughs> so they had actually. That's so he me. did play inside a little bit, and he did play and he played outside. So they they like to cross train at the senior bowl, which I think is good. Um, but Titus is the first one that came to mind. But since you went offensive line, I'm going to give you one that I think not only am I expecting it, but I think it has to happen. My only question is, at which position? And that's Lonnie Johnson Jr. Mm-hmm. And I bring that up because you you know I, you know what I've said on the air and off the air about Lonnie and safety. Yeah. I think safety might ultimately be a position that he plays because he is 6'2", 215. When you see him, you're like, that is a big dude. And the way that he can run, you think, man, what if you put Lonnie Johnson next to Justin Reed at some point, and well, now those two are your safeties? It really reminds me his his rookie year reminds me of a much less harsh version of what Kareem Jackson went through. Yeah, and I think in retrospect, with twenty twenty hind or twenty twenty hindsight, when Wade Phillips came in, they probably it would have been a real fruitful move if you'd switch Kareem to safety right way back then and let him mm-hmm. let him do what he did. Doesn't matter now. I mean, it's it's you know we've all, right. already gone down that road, but. Lonnie in the first quarter at Kansas City did okay. Yeah, I thought he did a pretty good job at Kelsey, actually. And then Hardman takes that long kickoff return yep. that kind of was one of the sparks. And Lonnie kind of hurt himself. He yeah. kind of got a hitch in his get along. Yep. And then Kelsey just went off. Yeah. Now, I wonder how Kelsey was going to get his no matter what. Right. I wonder how much of it, though, would have changed had Lonnie been fully healthy and, yeah. and had Tashawn Gibson been out there. Yeah, and that's a, and that's, that's a big one, too. You know, you know with, with Tashawn. But I just, I think Lonnie. Just watching him, the one thing that Lonnie has needed, and Lonnie has actually, and he's needed this his whole life, is, is stability. I'm curious to see what he will do with stability because he's a guy that you know grew up in, in Gary, Indiana. and I mean, his story is amazing, but mm-hmm. he grew up in Gary, Indiana. He's, he's had you know a number of friends that were, were shot and killed. Um, Gary, Indiana has got the highest, I think, murder rate or violence rate in the entire country. And then when it came to school and post-high school. Played a few different places. He played it. Not only did he play at different places, there were times where he, he actually stayed an additional year at Garden City Community College just to get his grades right to be able to go to Kentucky mm-hmm. and didn't play for a year. 
So then he goes to Kentucky. So it's like he went to like two or three different junior colleges to get it right, and then he finally goes to Kentucky for a couple of years, and then he comes to Houston. It's like he finally has got some stability here, and I'm curious what that does for him as a player, continuing to grow and learn as a player. The one thing I love about him, which I think some people may find off-putting, but I, I kind of love it, is he has confidence oozing better. out of him. Better if you're playing that position. Like, if, if he gets beat, it's like, Next play, let's go. You yeah. got me this one, I'll get you the next one. Like, he has that belief and that ability um, and that confidence. And so I think just with stability, and I think with I, – I, I think going to safety would be a great move for him. But I do think that he's got coverability. There's no doubt about that. I just think he might be more comfortable playing safety. And the Texans, in the long run, might be more uh, more – might be better off having him play safety at some point in his career and maybe mm. earlier than earlier than later. I've thought about the makeup of this team a bunch over the last how many ever weeks. And for the J.J. Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, and those guys that have been around for a while, they do have a pretty significant number of young guys that they're going to be relying on a significant amount over the next how many ever years. Guys like Lonnie Johnson, as we just mentioned, Max Sharpin, Titus Howard, you know, this draft class is going to have to pay huge dividends. And the last draft class, I should say, the 2019 draft class, but this 2020 draft class, they're going to end up being, I believe, about eight picks as it sits now. Draft day, draft weekend, even prior to that, you don't know what Bill O'Brien and the personnel staff will do. I do know that there will be some activity. It just, I can't see Coach O'Brien sitting still. I can see him moving up and down the draft board to find players, find additional players to move down to pick up a guy here, move down a few more spots to pick up a couple guys there, maybe to pick up a guy next year, those kind of things. So the the these two drafts, or this, you know, the 2019 draft, 2020 draft, they're huge. But if you think about what they did this draft with Titus, Max, Lonnie, as we mentioned, hopefully we get to see Kali wearing in the offseason when we get to OTAs and minicamps, get excited about what he can do. That guy's a heck of an athlete. So now you're starting to pile together good drafts. Now you have another one in 2020. Pile that on top of what you had in 2019. You know, you go get Justin Reed in 2018. You know, how can I forget about Charles Amenahu this last draft in 2019? Colin Gillespie. This was a very, very good, strong draft in 2019. Follow it up with a few more. Who knows what you could do uh, with your personnel going forward. But this 2020 draft, vital for taking the next step, getting the AFC Championship game, winning that thing, going on winning championships, getting close, but not close enough. And that's what these next few drafts are all about this offseason. Uh, so I'm excited to see what this 2019 draft class is going to be able to turn into, especially with the guys up front with Max Sharping and, and Titus Howard. Those two guys I thought had really good years. Max starting week 13 and starting every game after that, Titus unfortunately not being able to go beyond week 11, but there is a tremendous future for those guys up front. No question about that. Now, DPC is going to join me next, and she came up with a concept during our department meeting I thought was really good. The Oscars are on Sunday night. Well, the Oscars on Sunday night, they have all these different awards that they give out for various, you know, best cinematography, best actor in a supporting role, best actor, best actress, etc. You know how the Oscars go. So we figured, well, why not do that for the Texans? 
I'll let DP talk a little bit more about that. But when we come back, just know you're going to hear some of the best catches that the Texans had in 2019. We'll do that next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris alongside my good friend, DP Sidhu. DP, first of all, how are you doing? Did you watch The Bachelor last night? You, I watched up until just after the rose ceremony. My problem is I like to work out at 5 in the morning. Yeah. And I, even if I watch Bachelor on Fast Forward, it's three hours. So it's, it's long. not happening. So sometimes I'll just, I promise myself, all right, I can, I'll watch like 10 or 15 minutes. <laughs> and whatever happens, like there could be some major tears, but I got to turn it off and I got to go to bed. So I, I did start a little bit earlier. I got through it. I hate this Bachelor, Johnny. I just hate him, and yet I keep watching this show. Peter I the just, Pilot. Peter the Pilot, and um, I'm always yelling at the TV. I'm always yelling <laughs> at him. <laughs> and then my husband's like, why are you watching this? It, You're you know torturing yourself. You know what it is? Uh, you know, uh, my wife and I. I don't know why was, I do it either, actually. This was last week, I think. You Are you watching it this season? Oh, of course. Okay. We, we always do. Yes. Um, <laughs> You're, yeah. you're less annoyed by Peter the pilot than I am, I take it. No, I'm I'm totally annoyed by him. I mean, he's a, a flim-flam, wishy-washy kind of so man. So wishy-washy, yes. But uh-huh. the other night, my wife and I were we were trying to find a movie, and she's like, find a comedy. We just need kind of a release. And I realized that's what The Bachelor is. It's yes, comedy. It's comic relief. It is reality comedy. And, and this year, these... This group of women, holy smokes! They just top each other year feisty after year. Feisty doesn't even feisty doesn't even do it justice. Holy smokes! Well, the, the problem is that he is annoying to me because, like you're saying, he's just constantly changing his mind. So uh-huh. I feel like the story can't move forward yeah, because yeah. we just can't get past anything with him because he just keeps changing his mind. Yeah, so he does. He does keep changing his I, mind. I just want to know: did, does he know what The Bachelor is before he signed up for the show? Because it seems I mean, like he, he has. Was- no understanding. He was on it. He should know, but well, then again. He yeah. wasn't making any decisions. Back yeah, then. Anyway. Uh, yeah, who's to say? All right, so we had our department meeting on Monday before Mark took off and went to his big leadership meeting, and we were kind of tossed around ideas, and, you know, the think tank got together and decided, you know, what would be a really cool thing is let's go back and kind of do some – you know, some Oscar superlatives. You know, we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars later in the week because they're Sunday, and we thought, right. you know, why not Why not write a little bit about the best actor in a comedy film and thought, well, no, that doesn't really work for football. It doesn't translate. So why don't we give out, like, our football Oscars and let's all put on our nominations and hopefully we'll all come up with different nominations and we all – you sat down and came up with the various categories that are going to be out, and you're going to unveil these one day after the next. And it's That's basically right. the four of us, me, you, Mark, and Drew, putting our thoughts for some of the categories, not not for some, for the categories that you came up with. And the first one you came up with I thought would be really good to kind of chat about on radio because for today, you're – category for the oscar and i wish i had like a deep voice guy or somebody to say <laughs> or the music maybe yeah the music, music. oh maybe wait hold on let me see if i can find the music there's the music right there okay the best catch of 2019 now over the next few days you're gonna have on wednesday the best run of the year the best defensive play the best third or fourth down conversion the best touchdown the best regular season win it's gonna be pretty fun but when you sent it, I saw best catch of 2019. 
I immediately had an answer. Okay. Immediately had an answer. And it was not even really supposed to be a catch. Well, it was supposed to be a catch, but it was going to be a catch off an option pitch. But it just happened to go forward. And Deshaun Watson against the New England Patriots making the catch of the DeAndre Hopkins throw to me was the catch of the year. First and goal from the six. Deshaun hands off to Johnson. Now to Hop right side who flips the ball to Watson. Diving for the pylon. And he's got it. Razzle dazzle. Touchdown Houston. Now, I just think that play, and I love the way that Mark described it because he had it completely down. The ball's changing hands. There's all kinds of things going on. And then Hop tucks it, draws the defender, flips it, ends up going forward. Watson catches it, scores. So I did a little history, DP. Yes. A little research. An unlikely receiver for best catch. Yeah, an unlikely receiver. Because because I do love that. While I love that play, I may may be using that exact same play. Later on. As a nominee for another category. Sometimes that happens in the Oscars. Understood. There's some overlap. No, you're right about that. But I love this choice. Yeah. I did a little research, and I found out that from Deshaun's perspective, now, I, I don't go back. I, I didn't see his high school stats, so I don't know. But I could see his college stats. He never had a reception in college, so he definitely didn't have a reception TD. He'd been here for three years, did not have a reception or a reception TD until that one. Then you go to the Texan side of it. Historically speaking, it is the only reception by a quarterback for positive yardage. Mm -hmm. And it's the only touchdown that a quarterback has ever received. Brock Osweiler, Dave Ragona, Matt Schaub all had receptions, but they were all negative yardage. So to me, the catch of the year was by Deshaun Watson against the New England Patriots, as you just heard. That was a fun play. I remember after that game, I was in the locker room, and we were talking to Laramie Tunsil. And uh, I asked him, I said, so... Does anything about that play surprise you? And he said, <laughs> "It's Watson." Nothing, yeah. Nothing, I mean, he look at him. Nothing surprises me. He does yeah. it. He he said, and I think he said something to the effect of, "This is just what he does. Right. He does this all the time." I said, "But this is his first touchdown catch." And he turns to Watson, who's like like a few lockers next yeah. to him, and he said, "Bro, you've never caught a touchdown before." And then Watson said, "Not in the NFL." Which, and not in college either. Well, so then I thought, okay, so I, and that was something I was going to go back and ask. Right. Did he ever catch one at Clemson? But I, he's definitely caught one before, but not. Then it must have been in high school. Now here's the thing: DeAndre he did, Hopkins yes. has thrown a touchdown before, and yes. did it at Clemson. That's right. When Clemson ran kind of a version of the uh, Philly special, Philly special, he threw yeah. one to Taj Boyd, not to Deshaun Watson. So DeAndre Hopkins has thrown. A touchdown before. Speaking of DeAndre Hopkins, but imagine he came up in some of ours. Yeah. Yours for 2019 was. I felt like I felt like if I'm gonna go best catch, I gotta go Hopkins because he just makes the the best catches. So I my favorite catch of his this season was week twelve against Indy Thursday night football. It was late in the first quarter and third and six. Third down and six from the fifty. Watson to the gun. Hopkins in motion to the right side. Settles into a bunch. Watson gets the snap. There's pressure. Deshaun scrambles out to the right. Throws right sideline. And hits DeAndre. They're going to say that he was out of bounds. Boy, you want to look at this toe drag because well, we've seen him about do it. it before. Here comes the back judge in there. we got to see field a replay judge, I'm sorry. fast. 
We need a replay fast on the big board and on the monitors. Oh, they're going to call it a catch. All right, so that was just, that was such a gorgeous catch because I don't think there's very many receivers that can make that that catch on that throw. Yeah. And the way he extended his entire body, like a, <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was like a perfect 45-degree angle, yeah. completely straight. His toes were straight, feet inbounds. And I think one of the refs actually ruled it out or said it was yeah, out of bounds. Yeah, it was incomplete. And then the other, and then the other one overturned it. And, and I think Hop later after the game said, "Well, he, I mean, he knows it's DeAndre Hopkins, <laughs> right? So he knows that it's a catch because they went back and looked at it. Sure enough, it was a catch, and it was outstanding. Even when you watched it in slow mo, yeah, and on on replay, that he was able to make that. But you know, I think that's just him. That's he's like poetry in action. Yeah, he he's he's catches. very good. Now, our esteemed colleague Mark Vandermeer chimed in. And he said he likes to he likes to do the under the radar sort of play. Yeah, because I think he feels like, well, it's too easy to go Hopkins or yeah. Watson catch. He said the best catch is always going to belong to DeAndre Hopkins, which is true. I, I think yes. physically speaking, the catch that he made that you're talking about against the Colts was fantastic. He said Jordan Aikens 53 yard catch and run versus the Chargers. Second and 10 from the Houston 47. No backs. Here's the snap. Watson looking. Watson in trouble. Watson escapes. And he throws last moment. And he's got Aikens across the 40-35 right side. The 25-20-15-10-5 in traffic. Touchdown! Jordan Aikens, 53 yards. This to me, and I, the catch is the easiest part of this whole play. Because Deshaun breaks out of the pocket where he's getting pressure from, I believe it was Joey Bosa. Mosa or Ingram, one or the other, gets pressure right away. And he breaks away, and then he's going to his left, sees Aikens, flips it back, and ends up making the catch and then turns that into a 53-yard uh, catch and run. He said Aikens' TD catch was the second of the game, and it wasn't so much the reception itself, but what he did with it afterwards, scoring the final touchdown of the afternoon to help nail down a big win on the road. I think I agree with that sentiment. It wasn't so much about the catch, but the fact of what he turned that into. Uh, then there's our buddy Drew Doherty. Now, we talked about this, and we've talked about this before, DP. Week one, what do you remember <laughs> most about week one in New Orleans? Well, obviously, the fourth quarter, the, the drive. No, no, no. Before uh -huh. the game even started. Oh, before the game even started. On our way to the Superdome. What do you remember the most about our trip? Do you remember a player playing for the first time for us sitting oh, yes. a few steps, <laughs> a few seats in front of us? I was like, where, what, what did happen? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, Kenny Stills was sitting on our bus. Yes. And I don't know. He does not know this. But we were trying to figure out what color his suit was. His suit was beautiful. It was a sharp looking it was beautiful. It was, it was like gorgeous. A, it was like a light green. So we were debating: is it a mint? Is it, is it a pistachio? We can is come it a up with the color. So the, we had this text chain going on, and I believe Jesse Clark, who's in social media, was actually sitting right next to. Yeah, Kenny, right next to him. And I thought he better turn his phone to the side because I would be mortified <laughs> because I texted a color chart uh, of all of our different yeah. nominations for what color it was, and I thought if if Kenny just even looks over. And yeah. sees that he's gonna know exactly what we're talking about, yeah. and we were, and I didn't want him to think we were making fun of him. We were just fascinated by the fact. The that thing about it is, knowing Kenny now, he would probably sense. he would laugh about that because <laughs> we would ask him, "Dude, what color is that?" Like he would be totally he would. fine. He and you know we we didn't know him that well. I had not even no, we didn't done even. My deep he had been there like four or five days. 
If I, that. I don't think we'd, and none of us had even spoken to him. Yeah. I don't even think we'd introduced ourselves appropriately What yet. was pretty cool is before that game, he he was on it. So it goes dark because they're introducing the Saints. And so when the guys come out of the tunnel, they kind of run down to one side and then they kind of stretch, you know, take a second, maybe say a quick prayer, whatever, and then they come back. And he saw me. And he just gave me a big bear hug. And I was just like, this is why you're here, man. Show him why tonight, why we brought you here and all this kind of stuff. Oh, so so that he kind, did know that you. Kind of be, well, I didn't, never talked to him. Oh, really? That kind of become our ritual before the game. And then for a couple of games, we didn't do it. And then before the Tennessee game, he did it again. He, like, waited for me and did it and then had two touchdowns. So that was kind of like you're, our little ritual before the game. You're his pregame good luck ritual, I, I like I that. That was pretty cool. I like that, too. Now, right before first of all i love how football players are so superstitious oh, no this, this yeah. happened to me once a f- several years back so remember, true remember quentin demps mm-hmm. so quentin demps before we played tampa bay several years ago yeah i had told i told him i said oh the last time the texans played tampa bay you had a pick yeah in the game and i reminded him of that and then he got a pick against tampa bay so, in that game. So you had to remind him and of then the I pick. didn't talk to him. And then I talked to him, I believe, a few weeks later. Uh-huh. He got another pick. And then he said to me, whenever you talk to me the week before the game, I get an interception. So you have to talk, <laughs> you to, have me. to, talk to me. And I felt like this <laughs> immense pressure, Johnny. Yeah, no Like, pressure, I should have been flattered. But I, I felt this immense pressure. Like, well, what if I talk to him and he doesn't get a pick? And I know. then it's going to be my fault. Or what if I don't talk to him? I started feeling that, that pressure a little <laughs> bit. And, and luckily, Kenny realized it because then he did it. And then against Tennessee, he had two touchdowns. So I felt pretty good. good. And then he had a touchdown against the Chiefs uh, as well in the playoff game. That was that was my other really, um, I guess, an honorable mention, if you will. Yeah. Well, um, we got to get to Drews first. Oh, go ahead. Get to Drews. Speaking of Kenny Stills, how could we not forget the catch that Kenny Stills had to put the Texans mm. in the lead in week one? On first down from the Saints 37, here's the snap. Deshaun firing downfield, and he's got a man. Stills, touchdown, Houston. Oh, my goodness. DP, I, I don't know exactly. Exactly where you were, I think you were. Probably, I don't know if you were still in up the in the press box, box at yeah. that point. On the sideline, it was bedlam, absolute and complete, <laughs> total the, the Texan sideline. chaotic <laughs> bedlam. Because on the play before that, DeAndre Hopkins made a catch down the sideline that was equally as just unbelievable as that one. First down, Texans at the Houston 25. Watson in the gun. Texans down six fifty seconds to go. Deshaun gets the snap, four-man rush. Watson stepping up. He heaves it downfield to his left, and he's got DeAndre Hopkins, who's wrestled out of bounds in Saints territory. Wow, at the 37-yard line. What a play. So Hop makes that catch, and we're looking at the clock, and all the scouts were down in front of me. James Lipford, Matt Bazergan, they were both down there. Uh, you had Cal and uh, Janice had come down there and Hannah, they were down there as well. And so we see how I make the catch, and we're like, well, we got a chance. So we started the drive at the 25, throw it down. So all of a sudden, we're now on the other side. And so I had to run down there. I get down there, and there's just massive people. So in the last five minutes, there are all these people. Drew comes down as well. And so we're, like, looking at the clock, like, man, we got time for this, don't we? We got time. And then he does it on one play. We had too much time. I know, he had too much time. And he throws it, and I swear, DB, Kenny catches that ball, and I'm screaming in Mark's ear, Stills, Stills, Stills got it. <laughs> like, you know, because we're not, because, you know, Kenny's still new to us. And so it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, 
it's mass hysteria. Uh, mass hysteria. I'm jumping on top of guys. Guys are jumping on top of me. It was it was unbelievable because I don't think anybody really thought can we do this in seventy, you know, eighty yards in thirty, you know, whatever it was, fifty some seconds. And, no and we one, did it in two plays. And, and no one knew what to expect from Kenny Stills. Everyone was so focused on the Laramie Tunsil part of that trade yeah. that it was like, oh, okay, Kenny Stills, great. Maybe maybe there'll be a, a spot for him somewhere. Yeah. But for him to make such a big play in such a big game, yeah. in his first game where, I mean, he was still trying to figure out where the cafeteria was. I yeah, think, exactly. He really was. It really was. So, I had Deshaun Watson's touchdown catch. Drew had the Kenny Stills touchdown grab. You had DeAndre Hopkins catch against the Indianapolis Colts. Mark had Jordan Aiken's second touchdown, the 53-yarder, against the Chargers. So, I know there were some that probably – Ended up on the honorable mention side. You mentioned Kenny Stills against Kansas City in the playoff game. On third and one from the Houston 46. Here's the snap from Martin. Watson to throw. Airs it out. Left side. Downfield. Stills across the 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Rock and roll. Houston strikes first. I think one that we, again, it goes back to is probably a little bit more about Deshaun and the play than the catch. But Darren Fells, the eye kick. I mean, Deshaun getting oh, kicked course. in the eye. And Darren Fells going up and making that catch uh, against the Oakland Raiders. I mean, that's another one. First and goal at the nine. Deshaun calls for the ball. Here's the snap. Watson looking. Pocket collapsing. Watson trying to get away. He does to the right. Throws to the end zone. Caught by Fells. Magical. Touchdown, Houston. And the Texans take the lead. I would be remiss if we didn't mention some Will Fuller plays. Oh, of course. Because he had some tremendous, tremendous plays. Uh, He had... Against the Saints, that 54-yard catch with less than three minutes left in the first quarter. Deshaun gets the snap, takes the give, plants in the end zone, and fires deep downfield. And here's Fuller, and he makes the catch inside the Saints' 40-yard line. Huge play. Watson to Will. Welcome back, Fuller. DP, when he made that catch, I was, I was like, okay, man, we're back. Will's going deep. And it was a tougher catch than you thought because the coverage was actually fairly decent. It was on that. Eli Apple, right? Yeah, and Eli he, Apple. And he had to he had to sort of pluck it over his head. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a tough catch. And it then, was a great catch. And then you know we nobody knew like we didn't really see much of Will Fuller throughout camp and yeah. the off season, so it just felt like okay, he is back. Right, he's back. Yeah, it was that, back. Absolutely. I was excited for him on that play just to see that, just to see his wheels, just to see him yeah. making the catch. I just felt like okay, here he is. Yeah, it was it was cool. Um, here another one. You mentioned DeAndre Hopkins, the third and sixth catch on the sideline. When I saw Colts and your email, I thought about this catch that he had as the game winner on Thursday night against the Colts. Second and 10 at the Colts 30. Empty backfield after Johnson goes in motion to the right side. Second down. Watson gets the snap, and he airs it out deep down the left side. Wants DeAndre Hopkins, and Newt makes the catch for another touchdown. The Texans retake the lead. That's the one I thought you were going with, where he burns Pierre Desir up the sideline. Well, that's a, and, that's a great. And makes that tremendous catch. And there's actually a photo that shows that he actually has it in one hand, his left hand, before he's able to pull it in. And it was phenomenal. And I love Mark's calling that. It's tremendous. But Joe Buck, after he catches it, he's like, give another ball to Mama. And I was like, that's right. that was really cool that he gave, <laughs> he gave that ball. Uh, to his mom, that was pretty cool. I just feel like with DeAndre Hopkins, he makes so many catches over the course of the year that we almost 
I almost forget all the amazing catches yeah. he's made. Even against Tennessee at Tennessee, what a big yeah. game. Oh, and man. he had a couple of 35-yarders, yeah. uh, a 25-yarder on those the, the touchdown and the field goal scoring drive yeah. in the game. Yeah, he was very, Huge very good. Huge for the Texans. Huge for the Texans. DP, that was excellent. Great job. Thanks, Johnny. All right, that'll do it for tonight's show. Big thanks to DP, Drew, for stopping by. To all of you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.